Hi, I'm Rebecca Pete, And I'm Rebecca Cochran. And, and welcome, welcome to Woven, where we strive to be Christians living in the world with intention. And our prayer is that, to paraphrase Mary Zimmer, the Christ who knew Mary and Martha would show us the way of balance. Thanks, Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We are in the middle of our series on um, faith and doubt. And today I have on, or we have on, not me, we have <laughs> on too, my friend, Stephanie um, Lobdell. And she um, is on because we know each other through um, a group that we're in, a writing group that we're in, kind of a mastermind group. Um, and our wonderful friend, Courtney Ellis, we've had on the yes. show three times, is the one who introduced me to the group. And um, that's how I met Stephanie. And Stephanie's on because she's launching her book today. Today's October 1st. This this will come out a few weeks later. But she's launching her book today, which is called Signs of Life. And I'm going to let, Stephanie, I'm going to let you introduce yourself, kind of give the like lowdown yeah. of your job and your kids and all that kind of stuff. And then we'll get started. Great. Yeah. My name is Stephanie Lobdell and I am married to Tommy for a little over 13 years. And we have two kiddos, uh, Josephine, uh, we call her Jojo and Jack, he's three. Um, so they keep me busy, but I am actually t- a new job as of July. I am no longer a parish pastor, like in a local church. I am a university chaplain. So mm-hmm. my title is campus pastor because I really wanted to emphasize the pastoral office there, but we are in Mount Vernon, um, Ohio, where I'm at Mount Vernon Nazarene university, um, and the campus pastor for this primarily the undergraduate, not with the graduate program, but with undergraduate students here. So that has been a wild ride. Um, Wonderful and exciting, but also super intense. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, so mom, pastor, writer, which we'll get into a little bit in a second, um, wife, and your husband's a pastor as well, correct? Yeah, we we actually co-pastored for 10 and a half years. Um, So we shared the office of lead pastor. And then when we transitioned to this job, um, we stepped away from that model. Um, It's really helpful and it's a great model, but we were ready for kind of um, something different to explore um, kind of our own gifts in different areas. So uh, we are not co-pastoring anymore, but he is an ordained elder also. So awesome. Great. Okay. So talk to us about the book. What happened in your life to make you write a book, want to write a book? All of those yeah. Well, I, I've always written, I've written like curriculum and just stuff for church. So it wasn't necessarily, I mean, I was always writing. Um, but a couple of years ago, um, I had gone through this really significant uh, treatment for depression. And um, afterwards, I'd written what I basically just called a love letter to my church, um, just how they cared for me during that time in a really meaningful way. Um, and I just posted it online, um, as one does when you write things and you're communicating them with the, the world. And um, an editor at Christianity Today, uh, womenleaders.com actually at the time, um, saw it via a friend share and asked if I'd be willing to contribute to their website, womenleaders.com. And I had never um, really considered myself a writer in that way. Um, but I was like, okay, I can try something new. So I started writing just little kind of articles, short articles. And that was kind of like this gateway and that led to a lot of different things. Started blogging, um, wrote several articles by that point, got accepted into Collegeville Writing Institute. and. Um, but in the midst of that, an editor reached out to me and said, Hey, I've been reading your work. And I just wondered if you've ever thought like, could there be a book in you? Mm-hmm. And no one had ever asked me that question before. Um, I had not asked myself that question before. And I was like, I think you might have the wrong email address, but mm-hmm. thanks. <laughs> so, um, I just started to think about it. And um, like, what is what is the word? That the, what is the work that God's been doing in me? And it became pretty clear pretty quickly that there actually was something that the Lord had been doing in me and through me. 
over the past um, decade or so um, that I think really could become a book. And so I presented the idea to her and it was this idea of um, God's resurrection power at work in us, but not in like this big dramatic things, not in the deaths and the cancers and the miscarriages and all those things, but rather in the ordinary losses of our life. Um, you know, the plans that fell through the future that we imagined that did not come to fruition, um, illnesses, unexpected, like depression or, um, expectations that sometimes come tumbling down, uh, particularly for me as a woman in ministry facing some pushback there and what that, what that, um, experience looked like for me, um, going through some deconstruction and God rebuilding and resurrecting something more faithful in me. So these ordinary losses, nothing that you'd think you need to write home about, but things that, hurt nonetheless and transform um, our experience and also a lot of times can alter the trajectory of our lives. And so what does God's resurrection power have to say to those very real losses and deaths that we experience? Um, Or is the resurrection just something that is going to get us, you know, ticket out of hell and just wait till then, just hang tight. Um, So I explored that kind of that as my theme. Awesome. So we've kind of been talking about in this series um, kind of our stories, our stories personally, and then the people that we're talking to, like you, um, you know, most of us had a, our, our stories kind of gone, like we, we had faith, this like baby like faith. And then we go through this period, I think it may be the time of life that we're in or whatever. Then we yeah. go through this period that you're talking about where there's things that happen, whether they're really big losses or just ordinary losses and they cause, um, they arise doubt in us, um, in our faith and in God. And then from that, hopefully God resurrects, as you would say, something new out of that and a new type of faith. So can you kind of talk about how that looked in your life? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's probably two different episodes I talk about in my book. One is when I was younger and I was in college. Um, I had come through a very, um, very intense youth group experience. We um, did all the mission trips and all the Bible studies and all the accountability groups and um, a lot of really healthy things. And I felt called to called to vocational Christian service, you know, full-time ministry when I was about 14 or 15. And just really put my whole being into that. Um, but really there was a lot, a lot missing. It was, it was, I was so zealous, but it was very, in a lot of ways, misdirected towards this, you know, we need to save culture and we need to, we need to mimic culture in order to, to attract people to the church, right? If we have all these cool parties and we do all these cool things that people will just flock to us because we are copying what they're doing and we're just putting a cool Christian spin on it, right? It's like the, a breadcrumb and a fish t-shirts and all the things, right? Um, <laughs> and realizing like for, by the time I was a senior, I was tired, man. I was burnt out. I was sick of those parties. My youth group um, had some really unhealthy patterns, um, just some ways we treated one another wasn't, wasn't very kind. It was kind of a toxic place in some ways. And I go to roll into college ready to study ministry, but already feeling kind of cynical and burnt out. And like, what's the point of all these events that we're doing and this programming that we're doing? Like, what are we inviting people to? And I just did not have a vision of, um, of what kingdom kingdom of God life looked like and what, what the church truly could be. And so that kind of walks through my process of, um, feeling like, what's the point? <laughs> what's the point of all of the stuff that we're doing as a church and having that to be deconstructed and say, this is not about us alluring or attracting people to the, to the church with like putting out weird bait, like, Hey, come to this party where there's shaving cream. You know, those things are fun. But, um, <laughs> the, the reality is that, um, it is not up to us to save culture. It is not our job to redeem culture, but rather God is already at work in the world. Um, and our job is to live as a faithful embodiment of the kingdom of God practice and the way we love and treat and care for one another and a minister in peace and justice to the world. Um, so it was really a reorienting. 
away from self thinking I am somehow um, the zealous savior that through my zeal and my brilliant programming and creative party planning skills, um, I will somehow single-handedly save the world. Um, instead, moving to this, you know, Christ is king. Christ is king and he is the one setting the agenda. And so that was a very typical like college deconstruction period um, of where is God in the midst of this and what does the church mean? Um, But a far more painful and I think, uh, yeah, more profound experience of doubt and loss and pertaining to the church happened more when I was a pastor, um, a small town pastor going through a really dark season in that ministry time. So, yeah. Um, Yeah, What were you going to say? Well, I was going to ask you to talk about that a little okay. bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we had been pastors um, in, a, in a rural congregation for a long time um, and had had some pushback, some general pushback because, you know, I was a female in ministry and that was a little bit weird and for them. And so it had some pushback there. And then we were just very young and, um, you know, trying to change the world or, you know, do do your ministry and just give yourself fully to that. And we had offended a bunch of people by changing some things and it was really painful. And we had this conversation with our, um, our overseer, our district superintendent who came in and said, um, was helping us navigate this conflict we had with this family. And I was really hoping he was going to come in hard and heavy, man, and be like, you guys need to stop being so mean to your pastors. And uh, he did not do that, <laughs> which was disappointing. And he could have, he should have probably come in and scolded us for some of our immaturity, but he did not do that either. But rather he said, is the resurrection enough to bring us to the other side of this conflict, to bring us to healing and reconciliation? And it was a question I hadn't really considered. Like, what does the record, what does the resurrection have to do with this? I don't even know. And so that was the seed that was kind of planted during our ministry time there. And we did have some moments of some really good work there and some faithful, faithful work and lives that were transformed and people that came to know Jesus. Um, but towards the end of our time there, there was a very just finances were tough. There was a lot of disagreements in terms of our leadership and they scheduled a meeting um, during a time when my husband couldn't be there. So we were co-pastors, but they scheduled it. So they knew he'd be teaching the teens and I would have to lead it um, because the guy who was kind of leading the meeting was a bit of a bully and felt like, you know, I'm smaller, I'm younger, I'm female, I'm easier to control and manipulate and whatever. And so it was a really, it was a horrible time. I went into this meeting and just felt just laid bare, laid bare. People aren't giving because you're not a faithful pastor. Um, you know, there was implication there, suggestions that we had been unfaithful with finances where we're not remotely true. I mean, just accusations and implications and, and everybody saying this about you. And it just was falling apart before my very eyes. You know, and the people that I knew loved me and supported me sat there in silence. They didn't say a word. They didn't say a word in my defense. They just sat in silence. And so I walked back to the house that night. Um, I had to tell Tommy about how the meeting had gone. And just thought, what is this? Like, I've given my life to this. Mm-hmm. I have uh, gone to school for eight years for this. Uh, we're broke as a joke for this. Um, why? Um, why does this hurt so bad? Um, and the Lord really had to do some significant healing work in me over a period of several years. We went to, an, um, not long after that, we chose to resign and move to um miraculously another church called us. I don't know why they did after our losing track record there, but they invited (laughs) us to come into this new church. And um, it was months before, probably I could even say years before I would go to a meeting and not have a stomachache Mm -hmm. and not have like just scared bunny rabbit, scared bunny rabbit mind, you know, smells and sounds and voices and whatever would just trigger that panic. Like I'm, I'm under attack and um, felt constant need to prove myself that I was worthy as to be a pastor. And um, the Lord had to do some significant healing in me that required a lot of um, 
pulling back some prideful shields I had erected Mm -hmm. to protect my heart um, and just recognize that I'm the beloved and I am called into this space. Um, And those wounds don't need to define me. And I've been able to look back and see how God has, has resurrected what seemed so dead, so beyond any hope of redemption and has been able to bear nourishing fruit in my life, both for my own soul and for those around me. So um, a significant part of my faith, doubt, faith journey, if you will, we're going to coin it. We're going to find a term for that. Um, So it it has to do with church hurt as well. And so I guess my question for you is why do you think, I mean, there's all different kinds of betrayals and hurts that, that wound us, but why do you think as a Christian church hurt is, is so hard? Like, why does it, why does it dig so deep? Because it's supposed to be our family. Like there, the the scripture tells us, paints all these beautiful pictures of what the church is supposed to be of this of this restorative community, this place where we are loved, we are cared for, um, where we, when we are in need, that the, the family rises up. We mourn with those who mourn. We we celebrate with those who celebrate, and yet we come into that space all with our own wounds and our sharp edges, and um, our unconfessed sin and our own brokenness. Um, sins that we have committed, but sins that have been committed against us. And we hurt each other. We hurt each other. And, um, and I could, you know, I can point to those people that hurt me and say, man, look at all your sharp edges. Look at all your brokenness. Look at all your abusive patterns. Um, and yet also me too, you know, me too. Um, unconfessed sin of pride and of needing to prove myself. Those things are just as toxic. And so we come into this space and, um, most churches are not a place where we, um, feel safe to truly confess and lay some of our, our wounds and our struggles and lay those bare um, and invite the spirit and the congregation to come in and say, you know, forgive, heal and help me walk a new way. Um, we had an image to defend, man. We got a, we got a, we got a, a name to uphold. We have, um, we can't lay that shame out for everybody to see. And so because we choose to hide, um, we just end up hurting one another because we're too busy hiding our own stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> Okay, I'm trying to think of what the direction I wanted to go with this. So, how how was your relationship with God in the midst of this? Like, how did that play out in your your faith in Him and your yeah. if there's anger, depression, doubt, all of those things? Because I know yeah. for me, those things definitely it, those experiences for a time at least put a, a large distance and a chasm mm-hmm. between me and God. So, yeah. did you find that, or yeah. did you find it more that you, it drew you closer to Him? As cliche as it sounds, um, in those spaces where I felt the most particular at that church, when I felt like, okay, um, we felt very much released by the spirit and by our district leadership that it was time to, to move on. Um, and as we entered into that very scary space of not knowing for sure where we were headed next and if anyone would ever hire us again, um, and even in the years after that, when the Lord was really beginning to do that healing work in me and revealing some of my own patterns that had been a part of that problem, um, the Lord had never felt so close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, met with me in some really faithful ways. Um, oftentimes through the Psalms, I felt a lot of comfort through the lament Psalms um, and even some of the deprecatory Psalms, like break their teeth, O Lord, in Jesus' name, um, <laughs> that kind of situation. Um, but that for me, um, but the Lord was really faithful to me, even when I was, sometimes I was faithless in my anger and my bitterness. And when I just laid hold of that victim status with, you know, white knuckle grip, man, mm-hmm. um, the Lord was still good to me. It was still good to me and brought voices into my life that um, spoke some really hard truth that I needed to hear. Um, and so I, all I can say is, is the Lord was so very faithful. There were other seasons where the Lord has felt very, very distant. But in those times when the church was not a safe place to me, 
the Lord was. That reminds me, we had um, Jennifer and A. Watson on a few months ago, and she was talking about like letting go of the victim kind of mindset and moving forward. Yeah. And I just yeah. wonder, because I, when you actually are a victim, you know what I mean? Like there's like acting like a victim, but then there's that thing where you're like, I actually yeah. am a victim. When you're a legit like, victim. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like I just, I wonder about your process with that. So for me, um, it came a couple years after I left that church. I was, um, and I write about this significant, um, kind of at length in my book. Um, I'd come to realize, um, I felt like, you know, I was healing and I, I could, I could actually think of some of those people from my past and not feel utter rage in my inner being. Um, I felt like I'd released that. I'd even been back to that church to visit for, um, an event. And I felt like a lot of those wounds had healed. Um, but then I was, I was working through a sermon. It was on Philippians two and about how, um, you know, Christ laying down, you know, even though he was God did this thing. And I was reading this commentary and it said, it's not just even though he was God, it was because he was God, he did this thing. Like to be God means I give of myself, self-giving love to the point of even unto death. And, um, and I was just, just, my eyes were just blown open by a passage I had read a thousand times, but this concept of this is who God is. God gives himself away even to his shame because of his love for us. Um, and so this is not just the method of my salvation. Like this is not just how I've been brought back to God, but this is also the, the method by which I am to walk. Um, and the fact that those people hurt me and they're not even sorry has truly nothing to do with me. Yeah. My call into faithfulness is to say, this is who Christ has been. This is who, what Christ has done. And I'm called in turn to embody that faithful practice of self-giving love, regardless of whether they are sorry, because they might never be. And I have to release that. And isn't that true that it almost always is not about you? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Almost always, I would say. When somebody acts in a way towards us that is horrible or terrible or unfair, it's like pretty much never about us. Yeah. I mean, there are sometimes Sometimes. we have have parts to play, but but their reactions and the way that they handle the situation is not about you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I can look back and see that more clearly now in a lot of ways that other people's, I can see their wounds a little bit with more generosity. Yeah. um, Yeah. See some of their own struggles and their own dispositions and whatever else. But at the time, I think I was just so wounded by their sinful behavior and their abusive behavior um, that I didn't have a very compassionate view. Um, And I can see that a little bit with a gentler eye now. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. So can we talk a little bit about your experience with depression um, and how that played out in ministry, like being a person in ministry and struggling with mental health. Oh my goodness. So um, it started in college. Um, I mean, I think I start. I probably wrestled with depression before that, but didn't have a name for that. Um, But was very much struggling in college just every day. Felt so tired and so weary and just felt everything felt pretty hopeless. And um, I felt completely out of control of, of my, of my emotions. And, um, so finally decided to go to the doctor of all things, like, Oh, I maybe just have some weird levels that are off. You know, I gave up coffee <laughs> for a while. Cause I was making me jittery. I mean, it did all the things I kept, I printed out like months of like calendars and like would write like, Oh, I had this, this was a hard day. And Oh, this is when I had my period. And, oh, this is when I had all that chocolate or this is when I did this thing. And so I was trying to like find a pattern, find uh-huh. any pattern. And I was just a, just a, just a mess. So I went to the doctor and she's like, so, um, yes, like depression and bipolar in your family. 
And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. No heart disease though. Did you know that? I'm healthy as a horse. (laughs) And she's like, yeah, cool about that, but also depression. (laughs) And um, that was the first time somebody named that in me. And so um, I went on meds, um, which was a hard, a hard shift because immediately my thought was, oh, I'm disqualified. I can't be a pastor. I can't be a missionary. All the things that I imagined for myself, like that door for my future is closed. Like that is no longer available to me. I am broken. I am damaged goods. I need to change my major. <laughs> um, yeah. And that was a really horrible time. Um, but, to, and I wrote, again, I, I keep referring back to my book, but I did write about this explicitly in one of the chapters. The day after I had been diagnosed, I went back to class because that's just what you do. You just go back to class. My life is falling apart, but I got class. So <laughs> I went into class and I was sitting, I was sitting in the lobby actually waiting for class to begin. And one of my professors who I was close to sat down next to me. And um, he's like, hey, how you doing? And I had every intention to be like, I'm fine. And I was like, instead, I'm yeah. You know? And it just fell to bits. And um, and I said, well, yesterday I was diagnosed with depression. They put me on meds. And he goes, oh, really? Me too. And I just was jaw dropped. And I was like, what? Like, you're a pastor and a professor. Like, that's not possible. It's against the rules. You know, it was the first person I had ever had a conversation with who was honest with me about what truly hurt and um, how God met them in that space. And it didn't fix my problem, but it made me realize maybe I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. Maybe there are other people um, have been through this. And so it would be a long time before I could talk about that um, and understand what God was doing in me through that. He has never healed that in me, but he has certainly provided uh, means of grace along the way. A lot of that's been uh, been medication and counseling. and even some other pretty more dramatic treatment, transcranial magnetic stimulation, which was pretty hardcore um, that I had to go through, um, but was extremely, extremely beneficial to me as well. Um, but it was for, it was not until really the last probably five years, I was able to speak about it in a way that was um, um, edifying, I think, to the body. Like there's a part where you can talk about that a little bit, like your depression or whatever. And I think sometimes I even used it as a way to say, Hey, I'm relatable. Don't you see, mm-hmm. check out this cool freckle, you know, like, <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like use it yeah. as a, almost like a, uh, I think Brene Brown talks about like hot wiring connection, like trying yeah. to talk about vulner- or using vulnerability as a manipulative tool. Um, but I think in recent years, as I was truly laid bare, like couldn't function with my depression and had to go through this extreme treatment, was able to speak about it in a way that said like, guys, I'm, I truly am broken as well and in need of God's sustaining grace. And, um, was able to see how God was able to use that vulnerability and that, um, honesty about naming what hurts as a means of grace in my own congregation. Yeah. Um, and that was, a blessing. It was not a, a, it was a painful blessing. It was not a blessing I would have chosen to receive, but I'm grateful nonetheless that God has been able to take the broken pieces and bring forth something yeah, good and nourishing and beautiful out of that. Yeah. And you had good response to that with the people that, I mean, maybe not in your old church, but in, in ministry has that, has God used that in your relationships and in your communities? Do you oh, think? Yeah. Yeah. Far beyond like, and what a disappointment. Like, um, I have like two degrees and I can write things and say even (laughs) witty things and even sometimes profound things from the pulpit. And yet the thing that has been most meaningful and has blessed people and helped them find connection to Christ more than anything is my ability to talk about what hurts, namely depression and anxiety. And I'm like, for real? 
like, wow. But it's one yeah. of those things where, you know, uh, I become less that he might become greater. And mm. in, you know, in our weaknesses and my vulnerabilities, um, he has made more strong. And so it has allowed people who before I think were hiding to talk about it more honestly and feel like they are not disqualified and they are not um, um, too far gone to be beyond God's grace. Yeah. And so it's opened so many conversations with people. And I think I think to have helped some people feel like maybe the church can be a safe place mm-hmm. and not a place I have to hide. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That is. So um, before we wrap up, I just want to talk a little bit. Um, so say the name of your book. I know Signs of Life. What's the yeah. subtitle? Signs of Life, uh, Resurrecting Hope Out of Ordinary Losses. Okay. So love that. So we always think, I think a lot of times we talk about the resurrection. We mostly talk about it at Easter, but we should be talking about it more year round. But we talk about it and we talk about how the resurrection affects us later. Um, but I think the point of your book is how it affects us now. And so can you talk to that about that a little bit, about what it means to see um, Christ's resurrection as a power that we can tap into right now? Yeah. Um, and I want to, I want to, I guess, sit and talk about this in a, in a nuanced way. I truly, you know, Christ was, was raised and we celebrate that. And that is what's broken the chains of sin and death. And truly we will be raised to new life with him in the end. That is, you know, what the creeds declare. Um, but also yeah, because Christ is raised, death does not get the last word. And that is not just, we're talking about eternal death, but the sin and death that we experience now, you know, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in us as we are seeking to follow and trust and obey. Um, and so I, I want to move away from this idea that we can, uh, and I don't mean to be critical, but to tap into it, like it's like a, like a helpful resource or like yeah, a, yeah. like, um, like a, Ooh, that's a tool in my belt. I can pull out suit some resurrection power at you. But, um, yeah. because there's even books, I'm a, Brad Roth wrote a book called um, God's Country, and it's about um, the rural church. And he talks about, we often think about resurrection as like a ministry tool, like God is going to resurrect this place. And um, and God has not made that promise. Not all things are raised to new life this side of eternity. Yeah. Um, and yet there are signs of life. There are there are, there are are buds that are bursting open around us. There are, resur- there are relationships that are being restored. There are people that are confessing sin and, and seeking forgiveness. There are injustices that are being righted. There are, um, there are hurts that are being healed. Um, there are people that are finding love and, um, and community in the church and in relationship with one another. And, and I look at those things and I see that is a sign of resurrection life where I thought that all hope was lost. When I thought there was the end of the road, God met with me in that spot and showed me the, you know, this, even the tiniest glimpse of a new life bursting forth. So for, you know, when I was going through depression treatment, some of the signs of like resurrection life were, were my church made a meal train. I was getting depression treatments. I wasn't having a baby. I wasn't doing anything cool. Um, (laughs) They brought me casseroles like every day. And they were just showing that love to me and saying, we're faithful to you and we love you even in this space. And for me, that was a sign of life where I felt I was very unworthy of love in that space. Um, And that was such a gift to me. Those were signs of life. And the times where I felt like uh, my plans were completely just shattered um, for what I thought my future was going to be and God coming in, um, and inviting me into a new future that looks so different than what I imagined. And yet, as I've pursued that faith, that path with faithfulness, um, God has shown me how much fullness of life there is to be had in obedience, even if it looks different than what we expected. And so, um, I think it's seeking out those signs of where God is at work and being able to name those things and say that, that, that restoration, that reconciliation, that moment of hope, that, that gift of grace, that even the smallest things, sometimes I walk outside and um, we have all these little, um, our campus is just 
flooded with flowers in this in the summertime and I'll look and I'll see just like you look at the flower and there's a there's like a butterfly or there's a bumblebee or there's a there's a blue blossom that I hadn't seen the day before and I'm just reminded there is life there is life if I have eyes to see that and so um just praying that God would would set me free from my you know self-centeredness and my narcissism and my and my my being wrapped up in my own wounds and would allow me to have vision to see how he truly is restoring and healing in me and in around me, but also even sometimes through me, um, the resurrection power is at work. Um, and we can't hustle it. We can't make it happen. We could only receive it as the gift that it is mm-hmm. and join in that work. Yeah. It's so good, Beautiful. Stephanie. Yeah. Thank you so much for being vulnerable yes. and um, open. And, um, I, I think that uh, there are so many people, whether they're in ministry or not, um, where it's, it's hard to, um, be vulnerable with wounds because it, it exposes what we deem as weaknesses. God doesn't deem yeah. them as weaknesses, but we deem them as weaknesses. And so I think it's hard sometimes. And, and to talk about, um, it's hard to talk about as Christians that, that we go through peri- periods of deconstruction and reconstruction and the, and the resurrection hope in that is that God can reconstruct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and and can resurrect something far more faithful, you know, like yeah. a lot of times like deconstructing toxic faith yeah. and that needs mm-hmm. to happen. Um, but God can resurrect something, and not to survive what once was, but can resurrect something entirely new that is far more faithful. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for yes, thank yes, you. Thank extending you for that me. hope. And thank you and for coming for, like, on. Um, calling attention to ordinary losses. I think yes. that's yeah. so good. I think we all focus, especially like with the way our culture is now. I just feel like it's like really dramatic things get a lot of attention, you know, like in our lives. But a lot of times, like we just tend to push off the small stuff that hurts yeah. us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that it can still hurts up. Yeah. It's like a snowball, you know, and so yeah. it's, it's yeah. good to, we have to acknowledge those things. Yeah. Or they'll just I, building. I said, I said to several people that my, my book is written for people who love Jesus very much, but are no longer willing to lie about what hurts. Yeah. Oh, that's, so that's good. good. That's good, yeah. Stephanie. Thank you. And we will be yes, praying thanks. for you. I know this is a big day Thank you. and it's emotional and I can only imagine yeah. I've not launched a book, but I can, I, we've launched a podcast. <laughs> so we know what it's like to put yourself out there and like, especially sharing things like this that are very yeah. vulnerable and hard. And so it probably, there's this mixed bag of, you're so excited you want to celebrate and uh, some of you want to pull it all back. So yes. like, what did I do? <laughs> exactly. Yes. What have I done? The balloon yes. has left your hand and it's floating. You have to release that, release the outcome, release, release all those things. Yes. Well, we'll be praying for you, Stephanie. Thank you so Thank much you. for being Thank on. You. Thank you. Awesome. Yes. All right. Well, have a fab day. Okay. You too. Bye. So till next week, we are on Instagram at Woven and Him. We are on Facebook and Patreon forward slash Woven and Him. You can also email us fullywoven at gmail.com. And I'm Rebecca Pete, like the coffee brand. And you can find me at RebeccaPete.com where you can also find all my social handles. Yep. And uh, I don't want to be found. So just find me on the Facebook for our uh, podcast and the Instagram, but not my personal. Bye. Bye. (laughs) 